Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Please bless somebody beside you. Tell the person you will bear fruit in every good work. Say you will bear fruit in every good work. Understanding will come to you in the name of Jesus today. Tell the person, congratulations, wisdom is your portion. You are very wise. You are wise with the wisdom of heaven. All right, take your seats. The Lord is good. Okay, let's open our Bibles. We are continuing, and paradventure, we'll be able to conclude today. Even though I said that before, and it's typical of preachers, make a final point, and they are still making points. Uh, maybe we can conclude our teaching on the culture of faith. Remember, faith has a culture. Remember, faith produces a culture. If you believe something, it will affect how you behave. If, you don't, if it doesn't affect how you behave, you actually don't believe it. You are deceived. Let me make that statement again. If what you claim to believe does not affect how you behave, you are deceived. You actually do not believe what you claim to believe. It's just a claim. You know, James told us, be doers, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. That is, people can think they understand something, and they know it, and they believe it, but because they are not walking according to what they claim to know and believe, they are deceived. And that's what I've been trying to explain. Faith is not something you draw on just when you need it. Faith is not something you get up and go and get when you are sick. Faith is not something that you go and look for if there's trouble around you. Faith is a lifestyle. Faith affects you so much that it affects everything you do as a habit. I hope you're getting my point here. It affects, it colors the way you see life. It colors the way you relate with things. It colors the way you interpret things around you. That is what the Bible calls mind. Your mind is how you understand things. So faith affects the things that we do. That is the faith that is genuine. We must understand that faith can be fake. You can, you know, they are, they are faith. people can think they believe something, but it's not the genuine kind of faith. That was why James said that you can only show your faith to be genuine by the works it produces. Now, let me just clarify something for us again. James was not saying, go and look for work to do, to show that you believe. He wasn't saying that. I see people try to teach along those lines as if, uh, look for something to do. No. He was saying, if it is genuine, the way you will know is by how it affects your work, how it affects your work in life, how it affects the things that you are doing. How faith, that is, your faith must change your perspective. If it doesn't, it's not real. Now, many people do what appears right. But the fact is that they are not really working by faith. They are working by copy. What I'm going to say is that a man comes and says, the way I got this result is because is by, is I, I did this, I did this, all right? I pray four times a day, I declare these words, and somebody else comes, does exactly the same things. Do you know why? He's treating those man, that, that man's actions like a charm. I don't know whether you're getting my point. He's treating the fellow's actions as if 
This is the method for getting these results. If you read my article, I wrote something some time ago. I called it, Don't Be Without the Spirit. In that one, I explained, you know, I told the story once I was watching Caesar Milan do his dog show. You know, he's, the, he's called the Dog Whisperer. The man, he's not afraid of any dog. No matter how crazy the dog is, he walks in and tames the dog. All right? I had watched the show many times on National Geographic or Discovery, one of those two places. I don't know which one of them. Anyway, then one day I got the book, What the Dog Saw, by Malcolm Gladwell. So in it, there's a compilation of writings by Malcolm Gladwell. And Malcolm Gladwell began in the one on What the Dog Saw. He was analyzing Caesar Milan, analyzing how Caesar Milan behaves and what the dogs see in him, why they react to him the way they do. Are you getting my point? Now, I read the analysis and I smiled to myself. I said, maybe you should go and ask Caesar Milan whether he knows he's doing these things. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Caesar Milan doesn't know. I don't believe he knows. It's those who sit down afterwards that start analyzing what he does and they are trying to make sense out of what the dog saw. That's the name of the book, <laughs> What the Dog Saw. Now, when I listened to it, when I read it then, I just said, this is a problem with a lot of people. A man will come and say, this was what I did. And then I got results. Then people start copying him, forgetting that the Bible says he himself does not know how. That is, the S by itself produces. Sometimes people don't know exactly what they did that produced the result. Do you follow my point? So many times we are copying acts. We think that that's what James is saying as faith. We don't realize that there are, in fact, there was a time I did a small analysis. I, I did a small write-up. I think I even talked along the lines here about different kinds of faith. When the Bible says that the prayer of faith will save the sick. You know, those days when we were young in Christianity, one of the things we were taught is that the prayer of faith is when you pray once and you don't have to repeat. He said, let's pray a prayer of faith. Once you pray it, without giving thanks, we'll never repeat the prayer. Now, I'm not talking about that you should repeat prayer now or not repeat prayer. But what I want to bring out is that that was not what, Elijah, what James was saying when he said Elijah prayed a prayer of faith because Elijah kept on praying until he saw a manifestation. Don't forget that. He didn't just believe God and walk away. I'm not saying believing God and walk away is wrong. I'm just trying to define the word prayer of faith. So prayer of faith does not mean I just believe God and I walk away. Prayer of faith is as opposed to other kinds of prayers like prayers of unbelief. Are you getting my point? It's as opposed to other kinds of prayers like prayer of what I call prayer of copycat. Prayer of copy. This is how this man prays. You repeat everything he has said. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the work of faith. What we are saying is that if faith is really in your heart, it will change the way you behave. If you really believe God is watching you, there are things you will not do. Anything you do because nobody is watching is a sign you don't believe in God. I don't know whether you're getting my point. It is a sign because, you see, if really you knew that the Lord was watching, you know, like you would have known like David, where can I hide from your presence? It would have been real to you that there's no way you can hide from the presence of God. So the degree to which you do things as he's looking, that shows whether you really believe or you don't. So anybody you see that is a hypocrite is totally somebody, is somebody who totally doesn't have faith. Anybody who his Christianity, her Christianity is when we are watching. We're not angry with you. You are saying to God, you don't believe. Then tomorrow you want to pray and you want him to answer. I hope you are getting my point here. Tomorrow you want to pray, pray, pray and you want him to answer. Your faith is not genuine. Your faith is not real. And when God appears like he's not answering, it is not because he does not answer. It is because the faith is not true. 
It's because the faith is not genuine. So let's not forget that. When we're talking about faith, therefore, all right, when we're talking about culture of faith, the faith that does not affect your culture is, is fake. The degree to which your faith affects your everyday life is the degree to which that faith is proven to be genuine. Please, I hope you're getting my point here. It is not about, you know, um, learning methods by which God answers prayers. It's not about learning methods by which we talk to him so he can answer. If faith is genuine, Jesus said, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Once faith is there, God answers prayers. The problem is, is the faith genuine? Is it really there? So, outward things are the manifestation of the genuineness of faith. Do you get my point? And that's why one of our best examples is 1 Timothy chapter 6. When Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, Instruct those who are rich in this world not to be conceited or trust in the uncertainty of riches. He said, how do you know the fellow? Let's just open to it quickly, maybe to help us. And if we, if we just read it, he said, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. Rather, they should fix their hope on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Now, notice this. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Now, what I want to bring out here is this. Look at those qualities. Being good, being rich in good works, being generous and ever ready to share are the signs that a man's faith, a woman's faith, is not in material things, but is actually on God. So no matter how much somebody professes faith, but if he's rich in material goods, but is not generous, does not take time out to do good, is not rich in good works, and is not ever ready to share, no matter how much that fellow professes to have faith, Paul said his faith is in material things, not in God. I hope you're getting my point. He has faith in the uncertainty of riches. His hope is fixed in that area, believing that my expectation comes from what I can acquire materially. I hope I'm getting my point here. So that's what we mean when we say faith has a culture, okay? Just re- revising that. Now, let's continue from where we stopped last time. Last time, we're now looking at some issues. Now, let's read this portion of scriptures as our text for today so that I can get quickly into what I want to say. First of all, let's read from the book of um, Joshua chapter 1. The Lord was speaking to, Moses, uh, to Joshua after Moses died. He said from verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, cross this Jordan, you and all these people, to the land which I'm giving them to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given to you, just as I spoke to Moses. And I now describe the places. Verse 5, no one will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give these people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Now, for you to be able to do that, only be strong and very courageous. Now, be careful. This is where your courage must go also. In fact, this is where you need greater courage. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from me to the left, to the right, or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. Now, 
up to this point, what the Lord was saying to him is this. If you are going to have success, if things are going to work out for you the way I want them to work out for you, if you are going to have victory in life, there's just one key. There are no two keys. There's just one key that you are going to follow. And what is that key? Everything that Moses wrote, you will obey them. Now, please follow that. Everything that Moses wrote, you must obey. Now, but what is the key? Like I said it last time, that is a seed for what? Success. The seed for success is obedience to everything that Moses said. The seed for success is that if Moses says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, Joshua will make sure and enforce and work hard to ensure that everybody in Israel obeys that commandment. If Moses says, thou shalt have no other God beside this our God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, who has revealed himself to us, then nobody in Israel is allowed to serve any other God. Now, these are the things that constitute the single key of success, obedience to everything that Moses has said. However, that's the point. However, what is the seed for that one? Remember we said last time that every seed is actually a fruit. Are you getting my point? Because the way God created it is that when you plant a seed, it will bear fruit, and that fruit has seed in itself. That fruit has seed in itself. So in this situation, we are saying this is the seed for success. But that seed actually we'll see, or we have seen, also is a fruit of another seed. So what is the other seed that it is, that is a fruit of? And that's the next line, verse 8, which we all know. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Now, that is putting the word on your lips. It must not depart from your mouth. You meditate in it day and night is the seed that produces a fruit called obedience. Now, when you have obeyed the laws of Moses, that is a seed that produces success. Are you getting my point? So this is how it is. Meditation produces obedience. Obedience produces what? Success. So if a man really wants to succeed, if a child of God wants to succeed in this situation, what a fellow will do is not try to obey. Because God is very kind. God is very kind. He does not make us do what we find hard to do. He gives us what is easy, then gives us the grace. If our mind is set on obedience to him, he will not give us the grace to fully obey him. But he will give us something small to do as a sign of our faith. So for the kings in Israel, we saw last time, they were supposed to take a copy or make a copy for themselves of the laws that God gave to them. This same law that God is talking about here. They were supposed to make a copy and every one of them, they were supposed to read it. From the day they take the throne to the day they died, that would have been the key for their own obedience also. They were supposed to read it all the time. But so when kings in Israel did not succeed, they did not succeed not because they did not have military strategies or they did not have good economies or they did not know how to control the populace. It was because they, did not, they were not careful to obey the things that God said they should do, which was simple. Read this book every day. It was very simple. We looked at that last time. Okay, so now what we are talking about now in Christianity, I'm trying to narrow on the issue of meditation. So let's get that clear. It's a foundational principle of obedience. It's a foundational principle of obedience that is a seed for what success in life. So Christians, we must learn it. And when we fail as believers, generally it's in these small things that we fail. We don't fail in the big things. We fail in the small things. We fail in not giving priority to what is important. We fail. We, we, what we do is we mistakenly put what is important, and put it last. Let me explain what I'm going to say here. What you do first matters to God. Never forget that. What you do first matters to him. Now, let me say it again. The position you put certain things is important. That was why in Israel, 
they had God gave them the law of the first fruit. And the principle of the first fruit is still with us till today. Not the way we like to apply it, uh, many of us as Christians and pastors. But the principle is with us till today. Now, what I want to bring out is that when they harvested, first fruit meant that the first thing you ever spent money on was to say thank you to the Lord. That's the principle of first fruit. The f- people say uh, every time is the first salary for the year. Please, that is impractical. That is not what I was impractical now. It doesn't fit the principle. It's every time you harvest. I don't know what I get my point. So it's not the first salary for the year. It's if every e- first expenditure with every income. If we want to obey according to the letter that Israel obeyed it with, first fruit is what? The first expenditure with every income, not the first salary. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Because for those who earn salary, harvest is every month. Do you get the principle? For the farming society that time, harvest was once a year. So that was why each time you harvested, the first part went. But this principle of uh, uh, is the first salary for the year is, is modern fabrication. It is not the scriptures. What the scripture actually, uh, you know, if we are to obey it according to the letter, I'm not saying we, because you see in the New Testament it was not emphasized according to the letter. There is a spirit behind it. But even if we wanted to obey it according to the letter, it was supposed to be the first expenditure from every income. So when you end your salary, therefore, Whatever you do, thank you, Jesus, must be the first reason you spend money. Do you get the principle here? And then again, you see, it went on with eating. I'm not aware, because I didn't think about it before, but just think about it for a moment. Under the Old Testament, at least under the, in Israel, under the law and the prophets, well, I, I can't remember people being conscious each time to give things before they ate. Is there anything said about it? Did God give them any commandment that before you eat, you must say thank you? No, actually, until now, I never thought about it. You see, after Jesus came, huh, it did not fail. Every account, they were careful to point out that after he gave thanks. Are, are you getting my point here? After he did what? He gave thanks. Each time he wanted to eat, he gave the Lord his portion. We've discussed it. Anytime you are eating, God has his portion. God sits down to eat with you each time. And you must serve him his portion. That is the African tradition. What they did in many parts of Africa, at least, let's not talk as if Nigeria is Africa. I mean, Nigeria is just Nigeria. I mean, maybe they didn't do this in Tanzania. I don't know. But in our own part of Africa, one of the things people did when they wanted to take a drink, what did they do? They, poured, they call it libation. That one that went down is for who? The gods. The ancestors. Thank you. It's for the ancestors and the gods. You poured libation. Sometimes people take food, literally. And throw it away. There's a belief in Western Nigeria that you need to feed the witch. Otherwise, the food will go the wrong way. Some of this we do in Christianity. It's a drawdown from idolatry and fear. And you want to eat. Casting out evil spirits from inside. You're a Yoruba man. It's obvious. It's obvious. It's obvious. You are from Western Nigeria. Are you getting my point? You believe that somebody wants to poison you. Now, we do those things, you know, traditional African worship. We poured libation. When we wanted to harvest, we took the first one and took to the shrine. The first tuba of yam. Are you getting my point? Okay. Now, but you notice something. When Jesus wanted to eat, he always gave God his portion too. God does not drink, so we don't pour away a portion for him. In Christianity, we don't do it the way the traditional African man did his own. What Christianity requests is this. 
God's portion is what? Thank you. God's portion is what? Thanksgiving. It is a thank you you say at the beginning that's the Lord's portion. And you know what? He's waiting for it. He's waiting for it. Many people start eating, and the first thing they do is to check the label on the food. Does it contain cholesterol? They don't do that anymore. Do they still do cholesterol? cholesterol? No, no, no. Cholesterol died two years ago. It's only those who are not up to date that still worry about cholesterol. Those who thought cholesterol have not told us that sorry, it was a lie. It was a mistake. Doesn't, dietary cholesterol is not a problem. They now say it's dietary what? Sugar. And last week, they started saying, no, sorry, it's a mistake too. Anyway. People now sit down and be checking how was it made. Now, what they are doing is that they are denying God what? His portion. The lost portion is always first. Let's get back to it. In your food, his portion is what? Thank you. And that's why you never saw Jesus, even Paul, eat without doing that thing. He had to give the Lord his portion. Now, what you, how you assess things show the kind of value you place on them. We are going somewhere. Meditation, right? Don't forget it. Now, when God is asking for things, they usually are small, easy to do. What we try to do, you know, people sometimes tell you that you must do something that will pain you to show you love God. Actually, he didn't say that. What he said is what? My yoke is what? Easy and my burden is light. That's what he said. The concept of if it is not painful, the Lord does not receive it, is not Christianity. But like I always like to give us an example. Where's Nduka? Oh, see you. I knew I was seeing you earlier. They told him in church, give God something that will pain you. What they did not know is that the man said, money cannot pain me. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Let us assume your father left you. Let me not tell you what he did again. Assume your father left you one shirt. That was the shirt you saw him wearing the day before he died. And you were very close to him. You know that shirt is precious to you. But it's useless to everybody else. Who wants to wear a shirt that the man was 16 years ago? The man was wearing size 15 and a half. It was not a very big man. Are you getting my point? You like the shirt, not because you want to wear it, but because the last time you saw your father, that's what he was wearing. So they said, give God what we pay you, and your name is, God has blessed you. You are, you are a multi-millionaire. So give God what we pay you. Ten million naira cannot pay you. We're talking with a man one day. He said, people say that I don't tell them uh, some of these investments I do. He said, the problem is that investment can be risky. He said, if they lose money, they will say I'm the one that led them. He said, but when I lose money that day, we're talking about something. He said, look, I invested this amount. It has grown to about 50 million naira now. He said, do you know, man of God, if I lose this money today, all I will do is laugh. He said, but they can't take that kind of loss. So if I find an investment, I can't share it with them because it's, it's risky. I can take the loss if it happened. But such a man, he may have that kind of shit. Are you getting my point? So if he comes to church, you've seen big men around. Say, you give God something that will pay you. You open your offering basket, you find a shirt inside. Give God what will pay you. Oh God, this is what pains me. <laughs> Money cannot pain me. One, I have much of it. And two, God has liberated my heart. I'm not bound to the plenty I have. But this shirt, this shirt, the last thing my father, as I'm giving you, I'm crying. As I'm giving you, I'm remembering my father. As I'm giving you, I'm still touching his face as he was taking his last breath. I will cry. You ask for what to pay me. It will pay me, take. Except that it's of no value to you. Now, what am I going to say? His yoke is easy. And what? 
His burden is light. But he insists we have the right priorities. I want you to bear that in mind. God insists we have the right priorities. Obey him is not hard. He just said this is where he starts with. This is where it starts from. It's what? Meditation on the word. I ended last time we explained a particular principle. That Christianity is a cult of some sort. And I said to you that I use the word cult to explain, to bring to reality the power inside it. I use that word cult to, so that, you know, because if you say this to in society where they don't believe much in spiritual things, it may not move them much. But for us who believe in things like Oboni and all of that, when you use the word cult, it's powerful. Do you understand my point? You know, if, you, if, if a man is in your office and you hear that the man is an Oboni man, you know, everybody around shows him respect. Everybody around shows some respect. Once you hear that this man has a lot of juju with him, if he leaves his drawer open, nobody takes anything from inside. He has never killed anybody in that office, but just the perception. If he's a low-level worker, the boss will be afraid to correct him. They will be afraid to give him a query. They will, they will be afraid to tell him, you did what is wrong. Why? Ah, <laughs> you know, it's like, eh, <laughs> You know, why take the risk? You know, why take the risk? But I want to explain to people again. Christianity is something like that too. I said last time, I need to say it again. In spiritual things, everybody has ranks. Where you belong to has a rank. Do you get my point? Descendants of Ammon, they were blessed. That's the Ammonites, they were blessed. When I say blessed to a particular level, even the Edomites, they had a blessing. God said, because they are descendants of Esau, don't go near their land. The descendants of Lot, don't touch their land. What does that tell you? They had a blessing. Moabites, are they not the brothers of the Ammonites? They also had a blessing. Israel was not allowed to touch their things. But in the midst of it, Israel had a greater blessing than everybody else. It was to Israel, it was spoken, touch not my anointed, and do my prophets no harm. Concerning Israel, God said that. Concerning Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, God issued those words. So even though everybody around was blessed, the descendants of Ishmael were not as blessed. Because God said he would bless Ishmael. But they were not as blessed as the Israelites. In the realm of the spirit, there are ranks. And let me say it again. Please, Christians, listen to what I'm saying. If you are in an office and a man is in a cult, when you see him, you should want to shake his hand and see whether he recognizes you. Because there was a place, some sons of Sceva were casting out a demon. And they said, we adjure you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. What did the demon say? He said, Jesus I know, Paul I know. Those who know spiritual things know spiritual people. I don't know whether you're getting my point. They do. That is why if you're in an office, everybody's afraid of one man because he says he belongs to a cult. You sit with him, just with him, and listen to this, and invite him to the higher cult. Why? Because you are in the higher one. I like one thing. One man, I can't remember exact words he used now, but he met a man on the plane, and he was talking to the man, trying to preach. And the man looked and said, do you know I worship the devil and I can kill people? And that one said, do you know I cast out demons? What's your problem? 
Like, what is your issue? You want to threaten me with what? Do you know that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world? Why, why do you want to scare me? That's why I say, look, all these prayers we pray against witches, they are prayers of fear. I made it say last time, I need to repeat that also. If somebody tells you, listen to me, this is how false prophets behave. They are not true prophets. They don't know the true God. They don't know the power of the Lord Jesus. They will tell you, a relative is a witch. Don't let him come to your house. Look, this is what I say. If he wants to come, he's not a witch. Or he leaves his witchcraft powers behind. Or she does leave them behind when she's coming. Because if you are really a witch, the last place you want to come to is my house. That is a matter of fact. The last place you want to come to is my house. Why? I am a child of God. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I have been surrounded, all right, with a hedge round about. That is the word of God. Please, I hope you are following my point. Christianity is not a church religion. When you see the word Christ, the word Christ has many implications. The word Christ has many repercussions. The word Christ describes many things, not just the Lord Jesus alone. For example, the word Christ describes the church of God. Another name for the church of Christ is Christ. Another name for light is Christ. I hope you're getting my point here. Another name for grace is Christ. It's one of the names that Christians are supposed to bear. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Let me give an example. Now you come to my house. My son name is Olushino. The moment my child was born, his name was Olushino. That is, it is what's the name of this child. Whether I add that Olushino to it or not, everybody has it for him. That's when you get to school. They say, what's your son name? And what they mean, what's your father's name? So the time you were young, the first thing you learned is when you get to school, what is your father's name? They write it for you. Then you give you other names. Christ is the son name of every believer. I hope you're getting my point. Christ is the son name of every believer. Once you're a believer, you have the right to add it to your name. It is not a name. I mean, I don't, I don't need negotiation. My children don't need to negotiate with me. Can they use the name Olushin or my wife? I may have been the first, but the moment they are joined, that my wife is joined with me, she picks the name. The moment the children are born, it's their name automatically. That word Christ is exactly like that. It's the son name of every believer in Jesus Christ. That's why it's called the firstborn from the dead. I hope I get my point. And that's why he said, I and the children that the Lord has given to me, we are for signs and for wonders. So he recognizes that everyone that came after him is his child to him. Please, I hope you are following my point. The word Christ also describes, like I was saying, the church of God. That's the name of our own coven. Again, I'm borrowing these words to bring these things to reality. Because they say somebody say, we say it's in a coven. Our own coven has a name. And that is what? Christ. And listen to me, this Christ coven is superior to every other spiritual arrangement in the universe. It is superior to every other spiritual arrangement in the universe. And you know what I want you to understand? The way natural man, when they're in, the off, in an office, there's nobody in a cult. You know what happens? They are afraid to relate to the person. Let's see what, how people related to the church also. When the church was walking in his glory. Alright, the book of Acts chapter 5. 
I'll start from verse 12. At the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico or Solomon's porch. But none, now verse 13, I want everybody to read verse 13. None of the rest dared to associate with them. However, people held them in high esteem. Did you read that? Now, for the record, let me read it clearly. It said, none of the rest, that is those who are not believers, none of them dared to associate with them. This is the original juju man in the office. They did not, that is, they were afraid to associate with them. I hope you're getting back that point. He said, no one else dared to join them. Why was it that they were afraid to join them? <laughs> we won't read now. If you go a few verses upwards, Ananias and Sapphira had fallen down and scattered. They fell down and died. Do you get my point? The miracles were occurring by the hands of the apostles. Signs and wonders. Everybody said, these people are in a cult that we dare not go close. I, I can just imagine that a Christian leaves his coat hanging at the door of the temple and somebody wants to steal it. That guy said, wait, I saw that owner follow Peter inside that place. Do you still want to steal it? That one said, no. I just wanted to hang you properly. <laughs> See, the way people are afraid of people that they said they belong to a cult. This is exactly how people were afraid of Christians. I like one thing the person said. That the world may not like you, but they sure must respect you. First thing I'm teaching, or what we are teaching first, is for believers to respect themselves. To respect what they belong to. When you are talking about cause, Christianity is the highest of them. How do you join it? You join through active, listen to this, through active faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not discussing how to join in details. What I'm discussing is a power daring and how to activate the power. As a matter of fact, we have habits that are mysterious. Because you are used to prayer, you don't realize that it's a mysterious habit. Because you are used to prayer. Go to a country where people don't pray. If you sit down to bend your head before eating in a restaurant, people will stop to stare at you. What I've told you is not a joke. You know, you are so used to prayer. If somebody brings a prayer mat and prays at 12 o'clock, you are not moved. You are so used to it. You are so used to prayer that if somebody says it's 12 o'clock, Angelus brings out rosary and starts doing something, you don't notice. We live in a very religious environment. But if you go to a place where people have cast away religion, go to certain parts of Europe in, or United States, there are places that they don't see people say grace before food. You enter a restaurant, they serve you food. As maybe to make it uh, more dramatic, you are like four or five. You sit around the table, they serve you food, and you want to eat. And all of you decide to bow your heads. And somebody starts whispering. You know, four of you, the other four can hear. You know, the rest of the restaurants will drop their cutlery and stare and wonder what you are doing. Prayer is a mysterious habit. It is a mysterious habit. The habit we are talking about today is a habit of what? Meditation. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Let me emphasize something. Meditation is not thinking. Meditation starts with thinking. David talks about the meditation of my heart. But that is not what the Bible actually means. That is the fact that you are thinking. is not what the Bible means when you use the word meditation. It only starts from there. 
As a rule, meditation describes what you say with your mouth to yourself. I don't know what is my point. It's different from let your words be seasoned with salt. What you say amongst people. What you say that you want people to hear. Meditation is what you say to yourself. It involves the opening of your mouth. It involves the movement of your lips. That was why he said, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Have you ever wondered why he used the word mouth? He said, but thou shalt meditate therein. What he was saying is this. This book of the law shall not depart from thy mouth, but thou shalt put it on your mouth constantly. I hope you are getting my point here. That is, it must be something that you deal in with your mouth all the time. And this is different from talking in public. This is different from sharing the word with people. This is different from a situation in which you want to, you know, we gather and want to talk. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying that as a believer, you will rise. Put the, it's a habit you must form. We're talking about what? The culture of faith. We have mysterious habits. One of them, prayer. We're talking about that briefly. But I'm focusing now on meditation. Meditation is a situation in which you take the word of God and sentences, statements derived from God's word and you make them the murmuring of your mouth. You know my, my murmuring? Let me explain what I'm trying to say. Thou shalt meditate therein how often? How often? Now, when it is day, that means people can be looking at what you are doing. That is one of the traits Christians are supposed to have. They are driving. People driving past you wonder whether they are okay. I mean that literally. The first experience I had with this was when I was in school, one of our brothers. He has graduated, he came back to school for something. Maybe he had an exam to rewrite or something. I can't remember. But he was supposed to be graduating. Anyway. But we were back in school, medical students. So holiday period, we were just, you know, just crowding, trying to get ready for our major exam. So he came to a room where we were staying and stayed with us. Stayed like a night or two. I wasn't very used to him. I didn't know him too well. When we were in fellowship together, he was much my senior. Then one night, I didn't go out. He was there. I was in the room lying down. I just slept a bit and I was reading on my bed. He was on the table reading. After a while, I'm not lying to you. I got scared. I packed and left and went to class. Do you know why? He wouldn't keep quiet. He wasn't disturbing me, really. Except that he wouldn't keep quiet. I was wondering, why is he talking to himself? Is he all right? That was why I left him after a while. Because he wouldn't keep quiet. Why is he talking to himself? He's there. He wants to polish his shoes. He's talking. I remember a few words. I can't remember exactly what, but I know they were spiritual words. He was saying funny things like, a man takes a pair of shoes to shine the shoes. Favor is with me in the name of Jesus and all that I do, I prosper. And he's talking and talking. I wasn't used to it. Are you getting my point? I was new to this walk of faith. Okay, I said maybe, he, you know, sometimes you can just talk. But this guy continued for such a long time. I got edgy. After a while, I said, for my own safety, <laughs> God is my witness, I'm not lying. The Lord was there that day. I packed and left until other people arrived so that I would be safe. <laughs> what am I saying to you, people of God? We must have crazy habits. It's part of the culture of faith. It's part of the culture of faith. Remember something I said? Obeying God is not hard. Are you getting my point? But many times it needs courage. Even though it's not hard, let me explain what I'm saying. What does it cost to open your mouth and talk? What is the cost? Nothing. 
But what does, why does it need courage? What if you are driving inside traffic and you want to be talking? This is why it is. See, people will think I'm not okay. I wonder my teaching. You are wasting spiritual energy. You are denying spiritual power when you don't do such things. Every cult has its own incantations. Please, borrow, allow me to use African words. Every cult has its what? Incantations. Do you know we Christians, we are so... No, it's not our fault, though. It's the society that we are involved in. They soak into us a lot of times. So that unconsciously, occultic powers have been glorified. So that we that are in the highest of the powers, we are afraid. We are in the highest of the powers, but they've taught us to be afraid. And one major reason why we are afraid is because we don't realize where we are. One, the second reason is that because we don't realize where we are, we don't do the things that will have given us confidence. Believe me, when you take the word of God on your lips and crazily mutter to yourself for an hour, confidence will come into your soul. I was telling you last time that when we were young, we were watching all those Yoruba dramas. We had friends who, who memorized pages and pages of incantations. I remember that. The way the thing was depicted to us, which, of course, initially we just dismissed of them when we began, began to understand scriptures. But later on, we understood more about spiritual things. We went back and said, oh, oh those people, Jesus said, they were more dedicated to their own things than we, sons of light, are to ours. I used to wonder, why would Jesus pray a whole night? What was he saying? Every year passing, I learned new things that he must have been saying. This is one of the things he must have been saying. That is when he winds his spiritual dynamo. I don't know what I get my point here. What does he do? He takes the word of God. He says simple things like, A prophet must not perish outside Jerusalem. I came for a purpose. That purpose I will fulfill. Do you know Jesus used to say that? What he will say to people later are things that he has said to himself in private. Listen, what you have not said to yourself in private will not come out of your mouth spontaneously under pressure. I don't know whether you are following that. What we you know, there's something I've, I've used as, as an illustration here before. I worked in the military during my national service at NYSC. I, I was the third mechanized battalion then in SETI. So I learned a lot of military habits. And some of the habits, I didn't know why they were necessary. It was later on, understanding spiritual things, I now understood the importance of those habits. What am I talking about? As an example, soldiers are standing here, and an officer walks past. And you don't just tell him, good afternoon, sir. No. You have to salute. And the, very interesting, you stiffened. You know, you couldn't just say, officer is passing, good afternoon, sir. No. You, you know, you straightened, squared your shoulders, pulled it backwards, tuck out your chest. And then, sometimes, if you are not wearing a cap, you just stand like that. And all of it is half a second. It becomes reflex. That's when I observed it. Once your senior is walking past, you have to greet appropriately. Including when you are driving. The one I remember one day that impressed me, a few soldiers were sitting on the floor under a tree. And an officer walked past, a senior officer. And this is how they do it. There were about four of them. And the most senior will issue a command to the other three. I remember. You said, sit up! I remember. That was my first day of hearing it. I said, sit up! Where they were seated, everybody straightened his shoulder and monster. 
And that one will acknowledge the greeting and continue working. I learned that habit in that my few months in the military barracks there. So I asked myself, why is it necessary? Why is it necessary? You know why it's necessary? It's called exercise yourselves unto godliness. Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, exercise yourself unto godliness. What does that mean? Now is peace time. Train your body so that anytime a superior officer's instruction hits your ears, your body obeys. Because the day you are going to hear this instruction next, it will be under fire. So a man, you will see machine gun bullets firing, going overhead. Then he's there, he says, move on. And oh God, they are shooting, you know? <laughs> Advance, you know, but because you've been trained to say, yes, sir, you're already advancing before you realize that it is risky. That's the understanding I had of it. Because in the military, you cannot tolerate discussion when it, you know, when it matters. You're like, okay, let's move. Uh, okay, come, let's see. Is it possible that, no. <laughs> once the commander has given, the instru- when he, once he has made up his mind, you do what you have to do to ensure that the instruction is carried out. You will learn to duck. You will learn to crawl on the floor. But if he says, we are going forward, and he's moving, everybody's moving. He doesn't have to be checking. I hope you are following me. No, he has given the order. The order has been given. So everybody keeps moving forward. You are getting my point here. Why Why is it easy for them to do? It is simple. Because in the time of peace, that's what I'm talking about. Because in the time of peace, they, had, they, were, they, had, they were used to ins- listening to instructions. If I, there was one, one of my, you know, one guy that we served in, in that same barrack together, also a doctor. Was anyone experienced how when he was in Kaduna? Because he had lived, I think he, he had worked in the military establishment before in Kaduna, in the hospital there. So he said one day two officers were playing. One a colonel, the other one left now colonel. They were playing tennis. <laughs> You know the way it is. No official. They're just them playing. So one hit the ball. They're playing long tennis. So he hit a portion of the line. That one man thought it was out. The other one thought it was in. So he left Nakon and said, it's my point. The corner said, no, I think it's my point. I was saying, no, sir. It went across the line. It's my point. I was saying, my point. He said, yes, sir. This really happened. No further discussion. <laughs> Once the guy recognized the voice of authority, the only thing he had to say is, yes, sir. And they continued the game without offense. <laughs> you know, many of us who are subject to authority, who agree, but inside our heart, our guy is very wicked, you know? <laughs> we are angry. We are angry. We are angry. We are, we are not submitted to that opinion. We are angry. I was supposed to beat him. They, they continued the game Without any quarrels. That's the kind of practice they have for obedience to authority. Why? So that one day, when planes are dropping bombs, and you still have to advance, when the man says, move, you don't remember to fight for your life. You remember, first and foremost, to obey the instruction that has been issued. Meditation is one habit. 
by which we put the word of God upon our lips in peace time. Most of us don't do enough of it. I dare to say 99.9% of Christians, including this one preacher. I'm not here judging you. I'm here teaching. And as I'm teaching you, guess what I'm doing? I'm learning. As I'm teaching, I am learning. You know that when we're talking about music, we read from Deuteronomy chapter 32. When we, I'm not opening there now. When we analyze the song that Moses wrote, one of the things I said about the song, because this meditation is also part of songs, one of the things I said about song that time is that Moses wrote that Jeremy 32 to help the people remember how to handle spiritual things. He wrote Jeremy 32 to help them imbibe truths that they will never forget, no matter how long it's been. What am I going to explain here? Moses, we're not reading it now, he will explain to them, this is what God did with Jacob. Jacob kicked, then he went into um, affliction, and then he remembered God. He wrote everything down. The concept was that every Israelite will learn this song. It will be part of them for their generations. Even if he did not read the Bible, I mean, not their scriptures, the song would be scripture to remember. What am I saying? In the same manner, you see something. This is what I'm convinced about. Another thing that Moses did was to tell each tribe of Israel what to befall them. Now, follow this. Let's, let, I think let, let's just read one of it. Let's quickly go to Genesis chapter 49. Let's start with that one. What am I explaining? The fact that meditation is one thing that we use to activate the spiritual power that God has given us in Christ Jesus. We belong to this most high of cults. Somebody say amen. We eat flesh, so we are not afraid of other flesh eaters. We drink blood, amen? amen? The flesh we eat is the flesh of the Lord Jesus. This is my body that was broken for you. Every Christian, therefore, as part of your cultic activities, your cultic arrangements, must participate periodically in the communion table. I don't think we lay enough emphasis on it. We should. Jesus didn't say it's a nice thing. Did he say that? What did he say? Do, do it in remembrance of me. If you don't do it, you are forgetting him a lot. Was that the one that said it? The scripture. I am com- Because, you see, like I said earlier, the Lord gave that to us. We are flesh eaters too. But the, the flesh we eat is what? The flesh of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ. And the way by which we eat that on a physical level is the communion table. As a matter of fact, every Christian must participate in it. Every Christian. It does not require special training. Communion class is good, but it's supposed to be like five minutes. Which is a prayer on the night he was betrayed. If you do not know it before, you will learn it that day. Who is worthy to receive it? Every Christian. Once you are a true believer in Christ Jesus, you are worthy to receive. If you are not a true believer... Give your life to Christ and join. It is that simple. It is for every Christian. Everyone who has accepted the Lord Jesus is, a, is qualified. It is not a matter of spiritual development for you to be qualified. No. Once you have accepted the Lord Jesus, once Jesus is a Lord over your life, you qualify. At that same time, you drink blood. Don't be impressed. You know, they, drop, they show us movies of which with blood dripping in his mouth. 
She said, clean that dirty thing from your mouth. <laughs> what did you drink? You drank the blood of bulls and goats, chicken. Some of them even drink serious blood, they drink chicken. Chicken blood, lizard. Even if you drink human blood, it's not the blood of a sinner. There is only one blood that has come to this earth that is pure. And that's the one that was shed on the cross of Calvary. It was shed so that you and I can drink it. We drink it spiritually as a matter of fact. It washes us as a matter of fact. It washes us clean as a matter of fact. But we have been commanded to connect with the spiritual arrangement through a physical ordinance. That physical thing that we do on the communion table has a sacramental value. Now, those who grew up as Catholics, they are used to sac- you know, sacraments. What's a sacrament? It is a physical thing you do that explains and confirms a spiritual thing. That's what the sacrament is. It's a physical ex- explanation or manifestation of something that exists in the realm of the spirit. So if you are participating as a Christian in the communion table, it's blood, just in your mind, this is blood I'm drinking. I hope you're getting my point here. Yeah, that's what Jesus said. It's blood. And don't even for a moment feel inferior to a man who drinks real blood that he got from goats, from fowl. You know, when you see all those uh, dramas, or maybe in real life, Babalao will sit down, drink blood, and give people to drink. Just feel sorry for them. What did I say? Ask them, have they screened that blood you are drinking? Boy, you go catch something. No? Feel sorry. Originally, those things had meaning. They had meaning. But now, they don't. Why? Because they were supposed to be types of what the Lord Jesus actually represents. And we literally, literally, you are drinking his blood. God is seeing it. You are energizing yourself spiritually when you participate in the communion table. Christians, we have mysterious activities. We just don't take them seriously. We do. When can we have communion table? Where? Anywhere brethren gather. Including in their homes. The Bible said they used to go from house to house breaking bread. It was from house to house. Please, I want us to understand. Look, you know what is in my heart? I want you to understand. Next time you sit at home, just do one crazy thing like put your head down, put up two legs just to show that you understand that you are in something. Are you getting my point? You know, the leg you are putting up is not important, but I just want you to know you are in something. You know, no, really, I think Christians, we need to know that we are in something. We take Christianity as a leisure thing. In your mind, we'll pray at the end, eh? Just imagine that I'm initiating you again into a cult. You don't even want to join all these earthly cults. They go to bush at night. They'll be cutting themselves. I will cut you again today. Somebody say amen. amen. It's with your mouth, with the word of God. The word of God, it cuts. It cuts so deep, it gets to the bone. It cuts so deep, it separates the bone and the marrow, the joint and the marrow. It's very sharp. It dissects it very well. So if I are using blade to cut, I cut you again with the, with the name of Jesus and the power of his word in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I cut you, I cut you. Scarify <laughs> you in Jesus' name. Yes. We just need to do these things again for people to realize you have joined a cult. A powerful one. Not a joking one. A powerful one. The most powerful of all of them. So when they tell you, 
that some people have ganged up against you, do you think it requires prayer? It requires what? Laughter. Look, let's say I'm in my house. Somebody calls me, Pastor. He said, hey, Brother Ranke. I said, what's going on? He said, we've just found out. The AA people, the Mafite people, the Ogboni people, the Ogbanji spirits, the Mami Water spirits. Mami Waters are not common again. What happened? They've all been cast away. What happened? His spirit husband has reigned in Abi. And spirit wife. That's what you Many of those things are just vogues in Christianity. That's why they get tired. Anyway, let's all of them have gathered and they have joined hands. And they have put your picture in the middle. And they are focusing spiritual energy on it. If you start that story, I'll say, where is this story going? Pastor, be well. You that called me, if you are junior to me, I will tell you, you are very stupid. If you are my senior, I will say to you, it doesn't have any meaning. I'm wishing you would quickly change in age so I can tell you what I really think. <laughs> but I will respect my seniors. Rebuke not an elder sharply. So I will just leave you. I will leave you. But I will tell you clearly in my mind. You don't know what you are saying. But on the surface, I will tell you, don't worry about it. Will you pray about it? As God lives, the answer is no. I won't even utter a word. Listen, most people, and it's proper, you can utter a word. No weapon that against me shall prosper. But banking will not even do that. If I do that, I've taken it seriously. It's forbidding that I take it serious. If it was 2 a.m., as you finish telling me, I will quench the phone, I will go back to sleep. If my wife says, who was that? Say, one confused fellow. 419. That's, because that's what, as as what you are. I will go back to sleep as if you didn't say anything. Do you know why? I, look, cockroaches in my house can't be doing meeting. On how they will cross the, the powder, you know, this uh, insecticide powder that I have kept around the house, and I will be w- waking up about it. I can't. They can't be saying, how do we jump across the fire into what is cooking on the pot? You know, I won't be like, okay, jump. <laughs> I will only ask all of you, I will ask one request, don't jump all together so as not to spoil my food. I want the first person to jump. <laughs> To teach the rest of you a lesson in how not to jump into dangerous areas. I'm not kidding. I won't pray about it. What I've told you, now listen to me. Prayer is not bad though, about it. But the amount of understanding God has given me, he will interpret that prayer as a sign of fear. You will only get me to say something if you were in my face. And I needed to calm you down or to get you out of my sight. Um, what I've told you is not a joke. Why? What is the understanding? It is simple. I understand. Literally, the greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I understand in literal terms that I'm seated in heavenly places in Christ. Remember Christ? Far above all of those arrangements. You know, it's like I'm talking to the Father. And you now come and tell me they are ganging up against me. You know what David said? The wicked, they have ganged up against me, but I, I meditate on your statutes. Please, I want you to feel like you... No, I don't want to use the word which is too low. I want to... Okay, yeah, good. Amen. I found a word. I want you to feel dangerous. You know, like, as you are there, like, I'm, 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 I'm going to harm somebody. Are you getting my point? I'm, I'm dangerous. I'm electricity. You know, I'm charged up. I touch you, you convulse. I, that's, how, that's how I want you to feel. You, you know, you grew up with it. This is Africa. 
you understood if they told somebody is a wish, you pass the other direction. You understand my point? Now feel like the one that people should be running away when you are coming. When they say, let's walk through a graveyard. <laughs> Have you heard the joke before? This is a beautiful joke. I should tell it. Two guys wanted to pass near a, a burial ground one day. So they were afraid. So they now saw a man passing. Said, can we, the man was walking confidently. They said, ah, can we walk with you? The man said, no problem. Okay, let's go. And I said, ah, what's the problem? They said, ah, huh, we're afraid to walk through here. He said, ah, me too. I used to be afraid when I was in the world. They turned around and stopped. <laughs> he said, no, don't run. I mean, before I came into Christ, I'm no longer in the world. <laughs> <laughs> they thought he was a dead man. <laughs> but the man said the truth. It's a joke, actually, but let's take it and see if it really happened. The beautiful story. The man said, I used to be afraid when I was in the world. But now that I'm in Christ, fear has been removed. When you get home, eh, gather your friends. Gather your children. Gather your family. Break bread. I want to say something very funny. Dim the light. <laughs> Let it look like you are doing something dangerous. <laughs> yes, you know, I just want us to... Yes, li- thank you. Apostle said, light can do. <laughs> Honestly, if you can get candlestick that has seven heads, put seven. Seven is your Bible, is it not? Light it. Let everybody close their eyes and do... Mm. <laughs> We children of God, we have got that. Oh. <laughs> we are about to drink blood. Oh. <laughs> we will eat flesh today. Oh. In fact, I have a good one. Say, Amen. No weapon that is formed against us shall prosper. Amen. <laughs> When your neighbors are past, they will not cross near your gate. They will cross near your gate again. I lie. They will cross near your gate. Next time you come out, they will, they will be crossing from the other side of the road. And you say, ah, I got you. How now? I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> no, really. It sounds like a joke, but I really wish we would do it. For our own sake, just, just to get, just get a feel. You know, I just want us to get that feeling of the true spiritual power that we are dealing with. How can Christians will still be afraid. Somebody will tie rope somewhere, you're afraid. Let me tell you the truth. Christians, the only thing that can harm you is your iniquity. If you don't depart from iniquity, you will be injured. Every time you walk in sin, it's yourself you are injuring. You know, sometimes when I hear that, Maybe a, ma- a pastor or a Christian is committing adultery. You know, I, 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 let me explain what I'm saying. This is how I feel. I feel like, are you stupid? I don't know whether you're getting my point. It's what they call an abomination. Now, let me explain what I say. I like the one of my sisters said it. She said, everybody, now, this is a matter of fact, that everybody has his own juju. You know what juju is? You know what juju is? Now, let's just describe it for those who don't know. They have their own magic they use. Everybody should have. Everybody. A lot of our African brethren, they have the ones they put in the pocket. They have rings. 
armlets, you know, things they tie around their neck, around their waists, that are supposed to give them spiritual power. Okay? Now follow this. Everybody has. Shoes have at least. Now this is a matter of fact. Every spiritual arrangement has its own do and don't. They have their do's and don'ts. That is, they will tell you as an example. That is the way the one we learned African traditional ones. They said there are things like that. Man I was telling you about last time. He said there are things that women don't touch inside his shrine in his house. There are things that water will not touch. There are things that are basted with blood on a daily basis. If you know anything about African idolatry, there are idols they kill a fowl for daily. For those who are well-to-do kings and all of that, there are some they sacrifice a goat daily. And they never wash them. The blood packs on the blood. And you go and read Moses. Israel too had their own. They had the way they had to sprinkle the blood of the animals. Let's not talk ignorantly as if eh, they didn't know what they are doing. They knew what they were doing. What the Africans were doing were, was good and appropriate. What made it wrong now is what they call anachronism. It's outdated. I don't know whether I get my point. It's outdated. If I tell you I'm going to nature, we are going to preach. Me, uh, uh, okay, Israel, um, Thor Reverend, Yinka, and my wife. So we are hurrying. And I say, are the chariots out there? Or the carriage is it there? <laughs> you, you'll be wondering, what is carriage? Then they, they not, you hear, crook, 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 as four horses tied together are arriving and drawing something behind. And I say, put the equipment inside there. You know, you, you'll be looking for the cameras that's filming this home movie because it has to be a movie we are doing. And if we really enter where I go, you know, you come and say, Pastor, please, I really didn't want to say anything. I'm just wondering, you know, you're a man of God, you know what you're doing, but please, can't just explain what you're doing? Because, say, we are going to nature, we are going to preach, and we decide that we can't trek. To take us like a full day, if we're there to trek, and to carry this equipment, that will be like two days on the road. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and so we went to get these four horses. The horses are very good for traveling. Okay, sir, you call <laughs> You, you first look at all the people with me. That they must be equally crazy. So you will not come someone that please let us pray. Kingdom, what has gone mad? Is that not what you do? No, think about it. Common sense is that. Ah, okay. And then okay, as we don't have, we don't have. You know that's what there's people they call them Amish people in the U.S. That's what they do. Many of them still ride horses till today. They just rejected technology. That is a sign of worldliness. So people marvel at them because this is what they call anachronism. That you are putting something that is old into a different time setting, a different time. Now, what am I going to explain? What I've described to you is the only thing that is wrong with those things that Africans used to do. What is wrong with time? The moment the knowledge of Jesus comes, every other blood sacrifice must cease. Let me say that again. The moment the knowledge of Christ Jesus comes, every other blood sacrifice must cease. Every other blood sacrifice must cease. That's what Christianity is. So why won't I go to the village when they are killing a goat for a sacrifice? It's like me trying to go to Lagos on a horse. Even if I don't have a car, 
like I was saying, what would we do? We'll go to the public, uh, you know, the bus park, pay for two rows of seats, enough to carry our equipment and ourselves, and we'll be in nature in two hours. Modern equipments are sensitive. If you put our, our amplifier in a galloping horse before it gets to a ninth mile, to be singing by itself. <laughs> so if you see somebody, you know, sacrificing animals, it's, don't be angry. I don't know whether you're getting my point. It's not evil in that sense. It is wrong in the fact that why are you wasting time? And you don't be afraid. It's like we want to race who will get to nature first. Then the man in the horse, he wants to race against me that brought a tundra. So we are going to do it. I will have saved people in nature. Asaba, Ubinu, Seluku. Saving everybody. Heading for Bini before you get to Nightmare. Because we are both going for evangelism. You are coming with your carriage. In the same, that is why I will not be afraid if you join and you are sacrificing things against me. Why should I pray about it? I will just tell my wife, say, those people have really gone mad. Though. Why? They have sacrificed the blood of bulls and goats against us. And she will laugh, say, now, wow, wonder shall never end. And why are you saying that? You are wondering, how is this supposed to work? I don't know whether you get my point. It can't work. You are, you are, you are running on horses. I mean, you want to travel to nature with a horse. We went to the jeep since morning. So, no, no, think about it. People, people of God, please try and follow me here. Follow me here. You are going on the road, all right, with the horse. The road is good. Somebody is going on the road with a horse. You know, four horses drawing the carriage. You have a beautiful, you know, pickup truck. Five liter engine. You pack your things, say, let's go. Now, let us assume, of course, it's about 100 kilometers on nature. Assuming the road is good. Are you getting my point? Now, you get to Oji River. If one of your partners in the vehicle turns back, say, let me see where they are, what will you say? You're like, what is wrong with you? What are you expecting to see? That is, at Oji River, you're like halfway to nature. Are you getting my point? And you were in a vehicle doing 100 kilometers an hour. People are coming in horses, you know, dragging carriage with equipment. And you are checking whether they are behind you. You know, you ask the person who is checking, are you okay? Do you get my point? You ask the person, are you okay? Is there any possibility? Is there a possibility that they can possibly, paraventure by, by chance, be behind us? We are taking a natural plane now. You say, what if the hand of God comes upon them? What do you think is upon us? So let's leave that hand of God thing now. We are talking to natural plane. Are you getting my point? I know some people are thinking that maybe the anointing, we too have the anointing. But get what I'm saying, we are speaking on natural plane. That is how it is. When people are afraid of those who sacrifice animals, when they are sacrificing Jesus. I don't know whether you're getting my point. As a matter of fact, we Christians, we do that. It's part of our culture. It's part of our culture. We are in that, we are, I want you to think like you are in a, a group of power. That's the way to just put it simply. You don't have any reason to be afraid of those who meet at night. You can meet any, any time of the day. I was telling what my sister said. So my sister said, every of these things we do, you pour sacrifice here, you say, every single one has what? Abominations. And the abomination of Christianity is what we call sin. Are you getting my point? And like we've been teaching on Tuesdays, all right, one of the things I'm going to explain is how Satan works. You know, I, I began all of this talk by saying that if I now see a Christian doing something, this is how I react. 
Why are you doing this? Why are you weakening your own spiritual power? I don't know whether you get my point. It's as if, let's go back in time again. They have prepared a pot, a, you know, the juju, you get my point, the magic. And they said to you, make sure water doesn't touch it. And then you now want to wash your hands. You now put the pot that you use time and five goats, you know, three nights sleeping under a, an old tree. Are you getting what I'm saying? dancing around naked, bleating, bleating with the blood of animals. They now give you something. Say, this is where the power is kept. It's a hand that they used, they used to do for those, those days when we were watching those films. As you're about to go, Baba will now call you back. Come back before you go. My son, come, come. I forgot to tell you. Water must not touch it. You know the way they used to do? And I said, thank you, Baba. Thank you, Baba. Then you now, you now go home. You now put it on the wash hand basin. I don't know why I get my point. Inside your bathroom. And you are washing your hands. You know, as you divide yourself into two. Your other part should come and talk to this other crazy part. That after three days sleeping in the open, seven goats or all of these things, dancing around naked, you want to wash your hand near it. Why take the chance? I don't know whether you get my point. This world is dangerous. This cult we are talking about, they know they can't do anything to you. And they know where to wait. When Balaam, listen to me, when Balaam found out that there was nothing, and he told Balak that there was nothing they could do against Israel, you know what he told Balak? He said, there's only one way you can get them. Expose them to sexual immorality and into idolatry. And it was going to work, except that God actually, quickly, he arranged it. Moses and co, they rose up, Phineas and co, and they killed everybody that had been so polluted by bad pill. So as to excise that cancer from the midst of Israel, it was going to work. So we believers, this is what we do, therefore. These are our abominations. When we say abomination now, it weakens us. We are spiritually powerful people. We are people of spiritual power. So we keep away from some things because it drains our spiritual energy. God has produced power for us. We can't let the abomination spoil it. Like when we're talking about when we're talking about working against sin, he said, even if it means removing our right hand and removing our eyes, we will do it. Why? What is at stake is great. I don't know whether you're getting my point here. One of the reasons why the church believes lies is that they wouldn't work in purity. Walking in purity is more expensive for them than giving sacrifices. Praying all night. That is what the problem is. Because people will not accept to walk in purity. It becomes, it did not find they are looking for shortcuts by which they can maintain spiritual power. Listen, Israel, all they needed to do was simple. Just take your hands away from idolatry, from sexual immorality, and you were guaranteed the most powerful in, you know, Juju man of that time, the the man with the most with the greatest spiritual ability, Balaam, couldn't do anything to them. He declared with his own mouth, Numbers twenty three. There is no enchantment against Jacob, no divination works against Israel. He said it clearly. So why would I want to take my hands and get into what will drain me of my spiritual power? Listen, we are talking serious things here. Christianity is deep. Listen, if you understood spiritual, I told you there was a time I did a lot of studies. 
I read a lot of things. I read the Abdul Rashid. I read the Kanka book. I read the what's my Christian Science. I just, just gotten all of them to see what they are talking about. At the end of the day, now I know I'm a Christian. I know there's bias. Are you getting my point? But the truth is that there was nothing to entice me. I am not joking about it. I read it. I read those things. There is nothing to entice. There was a time. A time I, I, I don't mind me. I, I did funny things. I decided. I went on. I started searching on a, what what they call this one. This one that Indians practice Hinduism. What I saw was just a mass of confusion. And when I listen to people like Ravi Zacharias, who are, you know, they come out of that culture, and when they analyze everything, and the day my wife and I were in my house, in, in the house, we were watching um, um, one of these documentaries on BBC, National Geographic, one of them. But they were doing a documentary on these uh, mystics, you know, Eastern religion and all of that. And I saw what people were going for. On that day, my wife was laughing. And I said, I said, baby, it's not funny. I didn't find it funny. I felt sorry for people. People who will climb caves in the Himalayas, cold, freezing temperatures, put themselves in caves. Why? They want to attain enlightenment. They want to be able to connect with the places of the spirit. And all I need to do is to stay at the edge of my comfortable bed, my rugged room. Are you getting my point? You know, very cool environment, enjoying myself. Yet from that place, I will say, our father, and I've reached everywhere. Why won't I feel sorry for the man that's taking 12 and a half, 12 years? One put up his hand like this and did not drop it. They said the hand has to be lifted, and he was supposed to lift it for 12 years. When we we're watching this, he had done it for over 10 years. I am not joking. The hand was kept up like this. Why? He wanted to attain. A level of spirituality. Another one, his own was that he must not sit down. Guess for how long? 12 years. He was not allowed to sit or lie down. That was the one he chose to attain enlightenment. When we were watching that also, the man had been there for over 10 years. Wouldn't he sleep, you will ask. Of course he had to sleep. So how did he sleep? He slept standing. I'm not joking. He slept like a bird. He slept standing. Even my dog lies down to sleep. Is that how did he sleep standing? They hung on ropes, two ropes, with a small you know, support. They hung a pillow on it, so he would clutch the pillow and rest on it like this. But he had to keep standing. After a few months from when he started, both legs were so swollen, they blistered. They blistered so badly, the blisters ruptured and became sores. And 10 years later, the sores had not healed. To attain enlightenment. And all this guy needs to do, all I need to do if I need enlightenment, is I open to Ephesians chapter 1. And I pray that God will give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That the eyes of my understanding will be what? Enlightened. Why won't I feel sorry for people? And after enlightenment, what do they gain? Nothing. They don't gain anything. Did they gain spiritual power? The weapon of my warfare are mighty through God. So if I need, God, need anything, I ask God for it. 
Listen, Christians, I will say it again. That's all this fast, fast for 10 days, no eat. I believe it's Hinduism you are practicing. Punish your flesh, punish your flesh. You are kidding. Unless you are currently indulgent. Which what you need in your life is to understand moderation. If you are not indulgent, don't waste your time. The fast of a believer is a concentration to feed on God's word. To shut away the distractions of the society. Are you getting my point here? How can you not be eating on your own Facebook? No, think about it. You have not eaten your own Facebook. You are tweeting away. And you say, I'm fasting. You are not fasting. UEFA Championship, La Liga, their calendar is in your head. And you have, you, but the only, what you call a fast is that you have not eaten. My friend, wake up. <laughs> wake up and understand that. Like, I mean, that is not fasting. That is not fasting. You are not fasting. You are not fasting. People are fasting, they've shut down the phone. People are fasting, they've taken a small leap from work. If it's a weekend, they wake up in the morning. If people come to your house too much, you go somewhere else. You can even go to Opera Square and go and sit down. You know in Opera Square, as busy as it is, it's a lonely place. Everybody running around for their sins. You are not involved. You know? <laughs> you climb the stand there and sit down there. If you are there for 12 hours, nobody notices you are there. You can commune with the spirit. That is the fast of a believer. I don't go through all of those things in all the Hinduism to connect with God. Once I mention my father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. There is no clearer door. The Bible says we have come by a new and living way through his flesh. That is what Christianity is about. But it's just as deep as a cult as any other one. But he has his own abominations. We walk away from iniquity. Those screws our doors. Lying, lying lips. You know, stuff like that. Sexual immorality. Those things cripple our hands. Cripple our ability to participate in the power of the Spirit. Last of all, which is where we began from. Every group has its incantations. We have things we say. And that's what I've been trying to explain to us believers. These are things we say. We must have meditations of the spirit. I'm not talking about sleeping quiet and thinking. No, the word of God arranged both literally and through derivation into sentences. Listen, which you chant every day. I believe for each season of your life, you create one. Are you getting my point? Yes, for each season, you create one. Not desires, please. Let me just emphasize. We're not talking about desires. We're talking about what? Revelation, understanding of God's word. We put it together into sentences. I said something last time, let me say it again. My wife, after we left here, my wife said, you must do it. If you forget, I will remind you. We're opening somewhere. Okay, I said we should open somewhere. We didn't even read it. And I just took off talking. Genesis 49. Then Jacob summoned his sons and said, Assemble yourselves that I may tell you what will befall you in the days to come. Gather together and hear, O sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. Then he began to narrate things concerning each one of them. Let's take a beautiful one like Judah. Judah, your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down to you. He kept on speaking. He said, Judah is like a lion's whelp. Verse 9. 
From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He couches. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who dares rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. To him shall be the obedience of the peoples. And he continues talking. He ties his foal to the vine, and his donkey's called to the choice vine. He washes his garments in wine, and his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are dull from wine, and his teeth white with milk. That's just a very good example. The same thing Moses did for times, let's just rush there, in Deuteronomy 33. Now, this is a blessing. I want you to notice that. This is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the sons of Israel before his death. He said, The Lord came down from Sinai and dawned on them from Seir. He shone forth from Mount Paran. And this man kept on talking. And he came down from the midst of 10,000 holy ones. And at his right hand, there was a flashing lightning for them. Indeed, he loves the people. All your holy, holy ones are in your hand. And they followed in his steps. Everyone receives of your words. Now, he continued talking. And I took them one by one. May Reuben live and not die, nor his men be few. And this regarding Judah. So he said, Hear, O Lord, the voice of Judah, and bring him to his people. With his hands he contended for them, and may you be a help against his adversaries. Of Leva he said, Let your Tumin and your Rumin belong to your godly man, whom you proved at Massa. He said, With whom you contended at the waters of Meribah, who said of his father and his mother, I do not consider them, and did not acknowledge his brothers, nor did he regard his own sons. For they observed your word and kept your covenant. They shall teach your ordinances to Jacob. That was the primary assignment of the Levites. And your law to Israel. They shall put incense before you and hold burnt offerings on your altar. O Lord, bless his substance and accept the work of his hands. For time's sake, please, I will just jump here and there. Of Benjamin, he said some things also. May the beloved of the Lord dwell in security by him who shields him all the day. Of Joseph, he said, Blessed of the Lord be his land, with the choice things of heaven, with the dew, and with the deep, li- the deep lying beneath, and with the choice yield of the sun, and with the choice produce of the months, and with the best things of the ancient mountains, and with the choice things of the everlasting hills, and with the choice things of the earth and its fullness, and the favor of him who dwelt in the bush. Let it come to the head of Joseph, and to the crown of the head of one distinguished amongst his brothers. As the firstborn of his ox, majesty is his. And his horns are the horns of the wild ox. With them he will push the peoples all at once to the ends of the earth. And those of the ten thousands of Ephraim and those of the thousands of Manasseh. For time's sake will stop. He kept on describing. Can you see? You know I told you last time that my grandmother will sit me down and begin to declare words on my head. Why did I read all of this? Beautiful words. Things like this, you will write them down and declare over your head, over your wife's head, if you're the man in the house, over your children, one by one, with their names attached, until they're able to memorize those things and repeat it by themselves. That is the songs they are supposed to have. So the boy goes to the boarding house, he wakes up in the morning, we teach him some, some occultic habits, let's use that word, 
This is some occultic habits. Say you don't go out until you have recited this. Ah, one thing I like about Oludi Johnson those days in the battle. Go and ask Yinka. Have you noticed the way Yinka prays? That's the bad prayer. <laughs> These are things you teach them some dangerous occultic things that you don't go out without this. Drop power from heaven with meditations. There are two sides to it. One, meditations of obedience. Channeling yourself in the right way, in this right work by declaring God's word. I have been born in righteousness. I have the spirit of holiness. The spirit of Christ is in me. I walk, live above sin. I walk above the devil. That's why those three things we have in kingdom world, that's why I wrote them. Now when we begin to study, we start with things like, I am being filled with the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing him in all respects. I am bearing fruit in every good work, and I'm increasing the knowledge of God. That one, you know, that's the first part of it. We have a second one, okay, which we declare when we're about to start studying. But that first part is a meditation. Do you get my point? It's one, you just wake up at night. I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, in the name of Jesus Christ. Are you getting my point? These are meditations. Like when we finish, how do we say it? How do we share grace here? It's a meditation. Because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, surely we have passed out of death, we have passed into life. We have passed out of darkness into the light of Christ. We have passed out from under the curse into the blessing. All things have passed away in our lives. We are now being filled with the Spirit of Christ. We live above sin and walk above the devil because we are seated high above with Christ. This is our season of multiplication and dominion in the name of Jesus. It's not just for now. Are you getting my point? There are things you lie down on your bed before you sleep. You declare them. Before you sleep at night, you declare them. I have an assignment to my wife. I say I must do it. For each one of my children, I must write for them. And listen, it's not one paragraph. If it's four pages till my spirit is released, you will memorize four pages. <laughs> what is it? If two face wraps four pages, don't boys put them in their head. When we're children, what did we not memorize? Listen, people of God, you will write your incantations down concerning health. Listen, let me say something. It does not matter what your experience is, you must not change your words. Even if you are dying like this, you see, himself took my, oh, my infirmity, some of this by stripes, I've been here, bye bye, people. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I will not change the word of God because of my experience. I will not change God's word because of my experience. No. I told you, listen, it's better to die bragging, Lord Jesus, I held on to you. I died in faith. People die in faith. I died in faith. It's better. Every believer must recognize. Please, can I borrow a Yoruba word? Every believer must recognize that he or she is a babalao. If you don't like the Babas, I say I'm a Mamalawu, whatever it is. <laughs> the word Awu in Yoruba, understand? Please, give me a few minutes. Let me explain some things. The word Awu in Yoruba language, it doesn't mean evil. It means literally, well, I don't know the literal one, but it means deep, mystery, inner, you know, mysterion in Greek. It's, it, 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 Awu means you have a knowledge of what other people don't know what they don't know. 
you are in a circle that's privileged with spiritual information. That's what it means. And the head of the group is called a babalao. So they call the other ones omuawo. In the Bible, we call it prophet and sons of the prophet. I don't know whether I get my point. It's just that, you know, some words. I, I'm borrowing this words to bring it to life for people. In Christianity, there's what is called the mystery. What is that mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Are you getting my point? So the deepest hour is where? Christ. And as a matter of fact, it's on record that when God wanted to send missionaries to Egbaland, the first people to detect it were the Babalaos. And they went to their king and said, the God said they are sending us messengers who we must receive. What I'm matter of fact. So get it clear. A Christian, you are not an average person. Though. Stop working averagely. And don't talk about How is your problem? How did you get second time? How is your problem? I can't even agree. How is your problem? You'll be wasting spiritual energy. If you are from Lagos or Lagos matters, uh, Lagos matters concern you. Are you getting my point? What you should do is, no matter what man says, the will of God must be done. Issue a, a command in the spirit, which cannot go wrong because you are not commanding your desires. You are commanding as it is written. Heavens rule in the affairs of man. It's a statement you make as a believer. When you see a Christian, they respect him. In fact, let's leave that one. Respect yourself. If you're a believer, say amen. amen. Respect yourself. Don't stop running rubbish with your mouth. If the president is doing what you don't like, call yourselves to the corner. Mm. Shake your head like this, you know. <laughs> our own own is called Amen. Through Christ, we have our what? Amen. Amen. Those the ones who were in school, I remember how you used to greet each other. Amen, bro. Amen. It was a greeting. Amen, bro. People of God, we are God's power people on the earth. We have incantations we must use. The word of God, our Bible, is a book of the incantations of the Lord. It's not a religious manual. It's not what they say. That shall not steal. Don't steal. There is something he has said about every situation in your life. Listen. Oh, God, I don't want to spread this beyond today, but let me just end it here. Rise to your feet. Let me initiate you again. The knife of God. Give the Lord thanks. Say, Father, we give you thanks. Say, Lord, we give you thanks. Say, Lord, we give you thanks. Say, Lord, we give you thanks. Lord, we give you thanks.